Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to Now Where Were We? Bob Cryer here, and today we're off to the pub with the radio broadcaster, best-selling author, TV scriptwriter, and maverick wonder that is Danny Baker. Now, Dad and Danny have one thing in common. They like a chat, in the same way that a drowning man enjoys air. In fact, from the moment they clapped eyes on each other, they just couldn't stop. That's not an exaggeration. The conversation started as we were still setting up the microphones, ordering the pints, and working out who should sit where. But thankfully, the tape was still rolling, capturing every pint being clanked on the table and every microphone bonk. I did uh, just a minute, oh, here he goes, with Elaine Stretch. She was bewildered by she the rules. She did just a minute? Can you with imagine? Me, but she was bewildered by the programme and hilarious. Oh, I'll bet. Dear old Nicholas Parsons. He took a gin me in the end because he often invited me on it and I said, I'll be no good on it. I'll be no good on it. I'm a big fan of the show. I listen to it. Some, there are some shows I think, no, I, I couldn't do that. I'd be too either rebellious or too... And I know that. And repetition's a big and part repetition. of the, No, I, I, I think I'll be all right repetition, yeah, but yeah. I just, I just, I, believe it or not, I have got an idea of what I can do and what yeah, I can do. Oh, you'll be great at it. I said, no, because I talk a lot doesn't mean... Within the framework, well, you of said we've got to know. You said the same with just a minute. You didn't do it that often. No, no, no. I did it. Kenneth Williams, Derek Nimmo, all that era. Yeah, but I wish we were turning over now. Nimmo, Nimmo Ken, hated me. Kenny would, Kenneth Williams would insult you on the programme oh. and then laugh in the bar afterwards. You I, were all right. I wrote about this last week. I don't know I say this. Somebody put the titles up to give us a clue. Which, speaking of asphalt, uh, yeah. which was my favourite show to do. I love going out to Teddington and playing charades. Yes, uh, yeah. Uh, and they used to give me really hard ones after a while, you know, which was all right, that's fine. Uh, uh, the unbearable lightness of being, which is very hard. <laughs> oh, that's. Oh, it's very hard. I know. And you get it. And of course, the audience would see it and you think, okay. So I played with Kenneth Williams a lot on it. And as you know, he wanted to win at all costs. Oh, yes. At all costs. So I was like, come and sit down. That was brilliant. Well, Keith Chegwin was on. And Keith just took his two minutes to get laughs, make out, oh, where am I? The girls got the points. When he sat down again, they went to the women's to do this. Kenneth Williams looked across me, if you've just come here with the fucking money, I'll give you a check now. Why don't you piss around out there? I'm just showing off, not your show. This is a team fucking... And, we, and I'm between them. And, I'm t- and, and Chegg has gone, I'm in that fucking turn. I'm sending your type before. It's not your show. You go out there and try it. He would just give him a... And afterwards, of course, holding court. Ah, yeah, ah, ah. yeah. Poor old Chegg was like this stuff. He could On the programme, I started one of my minutes. I said, one remembers. Bzzz. Interruption by Kenneth Williams. What do you mean, one remembers? Who are you talking about? Do you remember? I said, are you one? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't mean it like no. that. No. And then and he, he was off. And he then he was he off. He would have taken it. That is yeah. the old, that is the old yeah. pantomime. He was off yeah. and running then. Where do you find these buffoons? <laughs> and his mother used to come to recordings. And in the old days, Paris Studios, yeah. you could smoke in yeah. the tea bar. And uh, he would bum cigarettes from me. Go on, bad smoke. Two cigarettes, him and his mother. And I would smoke. And we knew Clement Freud was coming in who couldn't bear cigarettes. Oh. 
That's why he loved doing it. And Freud would walk <laughs> in and go, oh, and walk out again. Did he? Oh, oh, Kenneth Williams loved it. Oh, my God. But you'd God. get Kenneth on his own, one yeah. to one. Yeah. And he's talking about life and oh, death. Oh, without a doubt. But as soon as anybody else came up. They're, ah! doing, they're hanging down in pleats, in pleats. Yes. The rear. And they walk away, you're right, and they go, because it's as Cicero said. He would, and, he would, and, he, and he would deep dish, to say the least, yeah. if that's yeah. the... Uh, we, we were talking about Hancock on Tuesday. Hancock got, had a great inferiority complex didn't he, with, with, with Williams, yeah. not just about his performing because it is because the, Gui- the Guignol stuff, yeah. but it was also because intellectually he was well, a bit of a heavyweight. Was, I mean, his path was set to be, I mean, he was the Doge in Maine, yeah. Leon or whatever it was, and he was getting great critics along with Richard Burton and everyone else, yeah. and suddenly realised, you know, he liked the fame of being in Carry On Constable. Ray Gold and Alan Simpson told me they thought he was brilliant and they dropped him from Hancock. Because it's not what we're doing anymore. Because well, the voice is in the Yeah, he would just, in the show, I mean, he'd just say, oh, hello, and yeah. get a laugh. Yeah. He, said, yeah. he was doing one line, catchphrases, and it's not what we did. Yeah. And they said, we didn't enjoy doing it, but we dropped him from uh, Hancock because it didn't fit anymore. And they said, Kenneth was a joy to be with all day long, rehearsing, whatever. Then he'd go home and write his diary. Yeah, yeah. And that was different. It, speaking of Aspel, him and Aspel hated each other. Absolute antipathy. They could not bear each other. And he did the six o'clock show all the time, Kenneth right. Williams. In Kenneth Williams' diaries, he always calls him the Aspel creature. Yes. He did the six o'clock show with Tarrant, <laughs> the Aspel creature, and Danny. He just used to call me on it. We oh. got on fantastic. Let me very quick. I'll tell you the first time I met him. We were doing the six o'clock show and we were doing a thing about, I don't know whatever it was, you know, the disappearance of the old coal men, you know, don't get coal men anymore. And we were filming over in uh, Stepney, a coal yard, and we were supposed to be in the Albury Theatre, which was opening up for us to interview Kenneth Williams in the bar, uh, four o'clock. We were still in Stepney at quarter to four and, of course, no mobile phones. They'd ring in the Albury Theatre, there's nothing there. And one thing about him... Don't keep him waiting, yeah. we've been told that. But we didn't get into Shaftesbury Avenue till about quarter past five, up past five. Went into the Albury Theatre, unpacking the gear on the pavement. It was raining. Walked in, uh, pitch black in the Hello. And not going to be here anymore. Uh, and a woman came out from like, oh, are you here for the Kenneth Williams? And we said, she went, oh, good luck. He's been waiting for you for an hour. He's not, he's not in a very good mood. Oh, Christ. Okay. So... When I was about 10, we used to belong to the local record library and one of the albums was a Kenneth Williams album called On Pleasure Ben. And I knew every song on it and there's only one sketch on it where he plays an old woman complaining about herself. Like, oh, got up this morning, put my foot on the floor like plugging in the mains. My iris will tell you. I walked out of here, banged my ear, all cut, I got my iris will tell you. He does this sketch. We walk down to the bar and he's sitting at the bar. Thank you. He's sitting at the bar in the Albury Theatre downstairs, raincoat on, trench coat on, legs folded in the gloom. As we've come down the stairs, and they've shoved me down first, and the director's behind me, he's gone, Mr. Williams was so sorry. I mean, don't you get me so sorry. Do you think I'm oh, nothing fucking better? I've only hung around so I can tell you it's, it's a disgrace. I've got better things. An hour? You couldn't ring. We tried to, oh, we, I've, never done, I've never done anything like that. And ask, boy, you can tell him I'm never doing this fucking, leading off. In a gap, I went, my iris will tell you. And he went, how do you know that? And I said, <laughs> and I, and I, yeah. I said, I used to have all your, did you all come and you come and sit oh, over then it? The, complete, the, the yeah. rest of you set up. I'll tell you what, that, that's the only thing I wrote on. I didn't know that. Now you can yeah. imagine. Oh, you're I, in. Oh, <laughs> oh, I like that. Well, because there was another bit they didn't put on the record. And he could, anyway, he said to me, anyway, sorry, mate. He said, I've been in and out. I've been going around all the bookshops. I've got nothing else to do. He said, don't let them know that. <laughs> oh, these characters. Are, incredible. Yeah, I just 
threw that line out there and he, yeah. how do you know that? Yeah. Like, bang, me and Kenneth Williams were just fine after that. <laughs> it was Morocco where you escaped in the awful Tun- days. Was it Tunisia? It might be Tunisia. Tunis- uh, yeah, and the yeah, and Joel, he had Joel his photograph and, um, taken. Yeah. And he was furious, Kenneth, because, as you know, your gay mates didn't come out. They'd have been ruined oh, and no. gone to prison. Despite Joe Alton giving every... Good health, good luck. Sorry, but I didn't say that. Good health, good luck. There you go. Thank you very Cheers, much. Uh, no, um, there's the photos of them on the beach and there's Alton and Halliwell in their shorts. Kenneth Williams, shirt, tie. He was furious about that photograph. That was their yeah, yeah. retreat, bless him. It was, know. yeah. It's a, and he wouldn't... Because uh, in Alton's diaries, he says, it's any any pleasure you want, but he would, couldn't bring himself to do it, apart from yeah. the, what he called the Barclays, didn't he? And got one boy to give me the Barclays. Barclays. <laughs> <laughs> you got it, you got it. Oh, no, no. In his diary, he always says, came home late, bit depressed, had the Barclays. Oh, <laughs> J. Arthur next door. I know, or the Jodrell, yeah. as it became. <laughs> It's one for the scientists. The memories yeah. bring him back, the Barclays. <laughs> anyway, that's the show. Hope you enjoyed it. And that's and, uh, it. <laughs> See you next week. Yeah, chaps, we're ready whenever you are. And so, with the chat that isn't part of the show out of the way, the chat that is part of the show. I make these weird connections. I did this thing, uh, Sky Arts, you know, comedy yeah, yeah. and old talking head, as you know. Uh, and uh, the one about Joyce Grenfell tonight. Yep. And it'll be shown again, I think, this moment, I think they filmed it, and she's playing the teacher talking to the class, but she suddenly stops and says, George, don't do that. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. Brilliant. George, don't do what? George, don't do that. Uh, And there's another one when she's at an old school reunion. Do you remember when she said um, her name is... um, is, uh, Madam Clench, is it? Oh, yes, uh, Madam Clench. Madam Clench. Clench. She goes, uh, as in boxing. She keeps saying that over and over <laughs> Clench uh, because she's married French. Madam Clench, as in boxing. What I didn't know was uh, she was the first comedian using it about, yeah. but at a memorial at Westminster Abbey. Was she? Yeah, the first male or female comedian who had that. Well, I was always so impressed on her things because doing the voices, Joyce Grimfield. I was always so impressed how good on American was until I found out she was American. She was oh, really? American. So I was Virginia. surprised. She's yeah. Virginia, yeah. She's okay. old, Amer- old American money as well. Yeah. Uh, and yet, Lumpy Latimer, as she often, you know, Lumpy, Lumpy Latimer, as she is in my favourite film, The Happiest Days of Their Life. <laughs> uh, but And also, there's a tremendous photograph online, dig it out, of her with her arm round Elvis Presley. That's <laughs> Joyce Grenfell and Elvis Presley. Now, how, what? How about in, that? Two different worlds. In two were colliding. Joyce Wonderful. Grenfell and Elvis No, she was. She was uh, brilliant. Uh, I, I love her songs. I lo- she does one song, uh, an old coward song called That Is The End Of The News. The funniest lyrics I've ever heard. I mean, yeah. obviously, an old coward lyrics. But she sings it in this intentionally too high register and slightly off key. Uh, they say we should count our blessings and da 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 da, and it's just so funny. Like the one she does with Norman Wisdom when they're. Um, she always got it spot on. Spot on. She? she was a brilliant, brilliant. Uh, oh, I'd love oh. to have seen her uh, one woman show, which was revived by uh, Maureen Lipman. Yes. Great title. It was called oh, Rejoice. Rejoice. Great title. Oh, uh, anyway, have so we started. It, I genuinely don't know if we've started or not. Nicholas Parsons. This is uh, this is <laughs> this is this the the, cur- the curse of, uh, of your Parsons. broadcasting, my it's friend. Mentioned Noel Coward. Cole Porter wrote a song, a narrative sort of song, and Coward asked if he could uh, have the melody, and Cole Porter said yes. 
So Coward wrote this song, Let's Do It, Let's Fall In Love, oh. to that melody. So I then ripped Coward off. I would never have got away with you it. You ripped Coward off with a... Um... Yeah, but I ripped Coward off by using that melody and did it all over again. Now, you're thinking, what's the relevance to Nicholas Parsons? <laughs> <laughs> I think that about every single and conversation. Every, every bird with a trill does it, every lark and every linnet. Nicholas Parsons still does it, but it only lasts a, a minute. minute. Oh, bravo, my And then son. he got ill. I heard he got ill, so I took that line out. I didn't do it. Yeah. And then he came out of hospital and then he rang me to say, I'm so all right, Baz, I'm all right, Baz. <laughs> I said, oh, I must tell you what I was going to do. And I did that. He said, put it back of in. Of course. Yeah. Absolutely, who wouldn't? Yeah. I saw, you know, and I, I, I hesitate to tell gossipy stories, but just before we started, <laughs> I was talking about how Kenneth Williams had uh, stunned uh, Keith Chegwin on the set of Give Us a Clue by just coruscating him for not taking the show seriously. Yeah. I did very well, and so I got beams from Kenneth. Beams, you're very good. Oh, you're <laughs> good. You can sit with me anytime. So uh, I was a handsome kid. Anyway, I, um, <laughs> the only other time I think I've seen two pros go at it on set, was Nicholas Parsons and Norman Vaughan. This is a show of teenagers are now rubbing their hands uh, together. Yeah. But Norman Vaughan, yeah. I was sitting between, it's always me between them. You know, exactly, I'm demilitarised zone. I'm just, I'm here to, <laughs> between these. Anyway, um, Norman Vaughan, who hadn't done a lot of work, was asked onto the six o'clock show and Nicholas was already sitting on the sofa. Uh, so this is now, please welcome Norman Vaughan. And he came out and every time he started a story, Nicholas jumped in. And he did. He went to a VT, and he looked across and said, "Will you let me speak?" And Nicholas, for some reason, I don't know if there was a backstory to it, just turned around and went, "You've done plenty of talking. This is, you're not up to it anymore. Haven't you got any other work?" And they just started. Arguing. Well, actually, oh. Nicholas started having a go at Norman Vaughan. And when he came back, Norman Vaughan's nerve was shot. And yes, you know, a, a Nicholas, tremendous, tremendous man. But yeah. when people mention him, oh, he. he he had razor yeah. blades on his elbow when it oh, came yes. to screen time. Yeah. He came to screen time. Would I lie to you? which is yeah. my comfort zone in lockdown yeah, yeah, because, yeah. you know, Lee <coughs> Mack and Rob and David Mitchell. Yeah, of course. Lee Mack, I would say, doesn't act, he reacts. He can butt in, but he's always funny. Always good. And he knows himself that it's compulsive, he can't control it. And they had Ronnie Corbett on, bless him. Uh, well, you know, yeah. Ronnie. Uh, 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 yeah. And Lee kept bang, bang, bang. And there's this marvellous bit, it's on YouTube, I think, where Ronnie just stops and says, May I just finish one fucking sentence? Does he? Does yes. he? Well, that's what. And Norman Lee Vaughan said to his credit, <laughs> Lee said he was quite right. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. It's, it, believe it or not, I, I, I could be guilty of that occasionally, uh, <laughs> but I, I've, you know, my salons has always been like where we are now in a, in a pub where it is competitive. You know. Yeah. I, yes. I, my first job or second job was at the New Musical Express. The you know, very opinionated rock and roll paper where most of it was spent in pubs and if you didn't take your moment, you didn't get heard. Writers' rooms, of course, are very like that. Yeah. In writers' rooms, it's yes. if you're a retiring violet, that it's... magnificent film, um, My Favourite Year, Peter O'Toole, yeah. when it shows... Oh, God, yes. Oh, what a film. And it shows the, your show of shows writing room. And, of course, you've got Neil Simon, Mel Brooks, oh, you got, oh, uh, Danny that. Simon. and But Woody Allen's character in it, or the person who's supposed to be Woody Allen, doesn't say very much. He just sits there... And every now and then we'll uh, just contribute something. And it suggests that Woody Allen equally wasn't as robust for that room. I remember, uh, I can't remember the actor who plays uh, Sid Caesar in it, but he's called Kay Kaiser or something, <laughs> uh, something like that. And I always loved this. He would come in and, and he'd say, how's it going, fellas? And they'd say, well, we got the so-and-so bit from last week. We're not doing that. 
And, it, and they'd say, well, and he goes, hang on, what's that smell? It's the script, and he takes it, <laughs> f- crushes it into a ball, says, Paul, throws it in there, and then pretends to fire it out of the sky. Oh, and wow. there's a wonderful line in the, I think it's Charles Grodin tells, uh, not Charles Grodin, Gary Marshall. Gary Marshall. Gary Marshall's book is named after something that Sid Caesar said to him. He said, I've, had the, I've been asked to rewrite this sketch, and I'd rewrite it top to bottom, and I was happy with it, he said, but I wasn't getting his attention. And he said, uh, okay, uh, uh, Read it to him as we walk down the corridors. And he walked into the corridors to his dressing room. And he's reading this sketch and he's behind him. And, and he can't get anywhere. And he finally gets to the dressing room door and he's still only halfway through the sketch. Sid Caesar opens the dressing room door. And before he slams it in his face, he goes, wake me when it's funny. Wake <laughs> oh, me when it's yeah. funny. And that was the name of his book, Wake, wake me, me When, when it's, it's Funny. funny. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. <laughs> Steve, oh, sorry, Steve Martin. I was watching a load of Steve Martin last week. Well, I think Martin Short might just be the funniest oh, man in the world, but Steve ain't far Steve behind. Steve Martin. And they're both oh, well, they're great foil. Steve Martin, when uh, he was asked to... Um, Wonderful. Steve Martin was asked to uh, at the Kennedy Centre when they do the Mark Twain Award. Once you start watching those on YouTube, you can't stop. I've done about 15 of them. Every one from Eddie Murphy to David Letterman all get honoured. And it's, it's probably like a, a modern-day roast, but it's in a very opulent theatre and out come their peers to laud them. And Steve Martin came out, uh, I think this was the one for uh, Richard Pryor. And he came out, Steve Martin, and now please welcome to the stage, Steve Martin, black tie event. He said, you know, I could stand here and say why Richard Pryor is a comic genius, a groundbreaker, a genuine brilliant mind, and one of the greatest guys I've ever known and the honour to work with. But this is neither the time nor the place. <laughs> Steve Martin, I remember, at the Oscars as well, had yep. um, Bob Martin. Uh, Bob Martin, that's not Bob funny. Martin, that's, yeah, it's got a dog Hello. Peel, of dog yeah. <laughs> Steve Martin was uh, introducing uh, Bob Dylan. Oh, right. For It was nominated for Best Song. And he was uh, live by satellite from Australia. And Steve went, uh, is Bob Dylan there with a 19-hour time delay, which for him is normal. (laughs) He made a reference to Richard Pryor. Yeah. There was an attempt at Elsa years ago where I met the most amazing people. Benny Hill had become massive in America. And we worked on the Des O'Connor show, which we were going to launch in America. And I became the handholder. They said, when the American guests and comics and whatever arrived, you go out and chat to them. 
and say, don't say elevator, say yeah, lift. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, Richard Pryor, I was introduced to, and he was so amiable and we had a laugh and a chat and it was really good. So I thought, oh, this feels good about the show. So we have a break, we're all in the bar and uh, Richard is at the bar with a white guy and Richard's voice got louder and louder. You start that, I'd take your fucking head, stick it up your fucking ass and stormed out of the bar. We've got the show to do tonight. John Scoffed, our producer, said, oh, my God, what, what's going to happen? Richard Pryor came back, and he and the white guy started laughing. They always did that. They were doing their Oh, no, act. was it? Oh, I have Just brilliant. winding people up, isn't it? Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, oh the people. That is, that is but the that, that ties in with Nicholas Parsons again, doesn't it? Because what's it, Ross Noble? That's, that's now become quite a, quite a famous story, but you tell it now and again, which is Ross Noble told you about when he was at the Edinburgh Festival with Nicholas Parsons. Yes. Oh, remember? I know this. You know this yes, one? Yes, I do know this. Yes, I do know it. And he was telling Nicholas Parsons all about yeah. Richard Pryor's colourful oh, history. Yeah. You know, the, the freebasing and the, the yeah. drug addiction, setting himself on fire yeah, and yeah. bankruptcy and all that kind of thing. And he swears he heard Nicholas Parsons at the end of the evening at this party telling someone else, I never knew that about Richard Pryor's. <laughs> <laughs> well, just and we... I heard about this and rang, rang Dickie Briars and told yeah. him that story. He said, I'm telling everybody. <laughs> that is wonderful. There is a clip, and I think, unless I'm mixing it up, but it's certainly, there is a clip of the Johnny Carson show and on the sofa is Richard Pryor and Rod Hullen Emu. <laughs> and he does the whole business. He does the business with Richard. With Richard. He attacks Richard. Yeah, he gives it. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. I no, he even, doesn't. The no, Emu does. The, the Emu sorry, does. Sorry. The Emu does. The Emu does all of that. Just before we wrap on the Steve Martin. Martin uh, Short. Martin yeah. Short. And this is Martin Keown then. Uh, Martin, uh, <laughs> that's that's <laughs> tomorrow. No, so Martin Short, well, I think maybe the funniest man in the world. I just love the way he pitches his jokes. And uh, they do a stage show together now, which what a night that would be. Yeah. And his, but his lovely way kind of deflates Steve, who we know is much more famous than him and much probably funnier. And he says to him at one point, he says, Steve, a question I've got to ask you before the audience do. Uh, you know, you're, you're so rich. How did you get to be so rich? Because I've seen the work, and which is a terrible <laughs> thing. <laughs> oh, and, then, and then later on he says, when you go to Steve's house, <laughs> when you, you'll have the same question that I did. You know, you walk into his house, a beautiful house, but everyone wants to ask the same question. Where does he find time to sit for all of these portraits? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? You watch, if you watch the Jiminy Glick stuff. Yeah, oh, Jiminy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, he is. I think I say I think I think he is one of the funny. I think he may be the funniest. Man someone, in the world. someone asked him. He said, "What was your favourite moment? What was your the proudest moment with Jiminy Glick?" He said, "He was one of my heroes, but making Mel Brooks laugh." Yeah, he does. And, he's, and he I said, know. what in particular was it that made Mel Brooks hoot? You know this one. Yeah, I do know. And it's, just, it's just a very simple line. He says to Mel Brooks, so you make all these movies about the Nazis. What is your beef with the Nazis? <laughs> he said to Mel Brooks, oh, what wonderful. is your beef with the Nazis? And Mel Brooks goes, what is my beef with the Nazis? What? Wonderful. Can I, can I tell you a story here? And I'm not sure this is this is neither I think the, you can. This is neither, <laughs> the, this is neither the time nor the place. Uh, so Mel Brooks. I got on tremendously with Mel Brooks and he, I, I would walk across at subsequent functions and he would say, Danny Baker, 
as loud as he could. Why would he do that? Now, of course, it's a self-aggrandizing story. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. <laughs> so the first time I met Image on the 6 o'clock show where I met everybody, that's the thing, you know, you know, I got the rock and roll years and all that, but I did that show for seven years and everyone was yeah. on it. Well, everyone like was on it. you writing for Des O'Connor, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, I mean, I'm, of course, I defer to the champion over here, but the, the difference between me and what I sometimes call my contemporaries in comedy now, they never worked even though in, in, in Six O'Clock Show with Tommy Cooper, Mookman Wise and all that. We did. I was at the NME, the New Music Express, my job before that. Yeah. I got fed up of talking to rock stars and I told them that. I had a bit of a reputation as a writer on it. I said, I don't want to talk to any more nitwit rock stars that I have to make look good. And, you know, it's no, <laughs> I just want to talk to comedians. First one I did was Bob Monkhouse, who couldn't have been, picked me up at station up at Leighton Buzzard, wherever it was, and took yeah. me to his house. Literally could not have been nicer. Told me to come along to uh, Family Fortunes, watch the show afterwards. He didn't know me from Adam. I was an 18-year-old kid, you know. Just treated me like yeah, I was. Yeah, good man. You know, uh, yeah, could have been Bernard Levin. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but he was so nice to us. Uh, and then uh, Mel Brooks came to town, publicising. Should have seen Bernard Levin on Family Fortunes. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, I'm sure you do this, Barry. I say Bernard Levin out loud and I think, that's a great reference. Why did I say Bernard Levin? <laughs> I never <laughs> thought about that. <laughs> so uh, I said the other day, uh, the other day I was talking to um, Count Arthur Strong on, online. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and he said, uh, we were joking about newspapers. And I said, I, I know. Uh, you wait till I see that Donald Zeck. I'm going to give him a piece of my Donald Zeck. <laughs> Wonderful. Anyway, yes. so, but that's the beauty of it. Before my time, I can do that. So, Mel Brooks is in town. The enemy had a lot of clout. Could I go along and interview him? Yeah, okay, the film company, happy to do it. I had to meet him over at the Dorchester. Now, I'm not, I think, wow, Mel Brooks. His um, manager was called uh, Joe Rust Lustig. Joe Lustig. Meet him in reception. Danny, how are you? Great. Mel's very excited about meeting you. Of course he is. Never met him before in my life. Uh, I walk in, he's having breakfast. He literally had a napkin tucked in, blazer on, looking great. I'm walking towards the table thinking, Jesus Christ, it's Mel Brooks, and now I'm going to interview him. I walk towards him. Joe Lustig says, Mel, this is Danny Baker. He jumps to his feet, I promise you. What? You're a Danny Baker? He spun round on his heel. I thought, well, this is business. This is great. This is exactly what I want from Mel Brooks. He meant, you're a Danny Baker? You're seriously Danny Baker? So I said, yeah. I'm Danny Baker. He went, sit down, sit down. You know the very first thing I ever wrote for TV, and it only went to a pilot because they thought it stunk. I loved it. It was called The Private Life of Danny Baker. Oh, yes. And I said, yeah. what? And he went, I'm, did you know this? Is that? I said, no, that's my name. He went, unbelievable. We're going to get on just fine. And he told me what it was. And I said, why did you choose Danny Baker? I mean, it was the most Gentile name I could think of. <laughs> it's the most white bread thing in the oh, world. Oh, that's marvellous. And can you, so every time, I mean, I'm mean, only four, three or four times met him after that, I would walk towards him and he would go, Danny Baker. Danny Baker. Because he never forgot it. And like that thing I said to you earlier about Kenneth Williams, pure dumb luck. What yes. are the chances of that? Yeah. We are saying about um, uh, people who are the same off as they are on yeah. and stuff, and Kenneth Williams in company would be that Kenneth Williams. Yes. But privately, oh, he, yeah. privately, of course, he was very cerebral and um, uh, a loner, and we all know that, I think. Uh, but Mel Brooks equally, um, because we got on so great that morning, he said, um, what are you doing later? And, you know, I had like an hour slot. He said, I've got to do two more of these. He said, I'm going around the uh, uh, Victorian Albert and the uh, History Museum. You want to come? So I said, yeah, sure, sure. And yeah, so I just went off and went for a couple of hours and came back. And he took us 
But then he was completely different from Mel Brooks. He would point out things in these museums, yes. saying, you see that? And in a very quiet voice, like, yeah. that's yes, why that's you should And extraordinary. Uh, yes, of course nobody is the cartoon they present company accepted, they present. <laughs> but Mel, Mel, Mel yeah, I remember that, and it was so, I took him to the Mayfair pub in Rotherhithe, which he really liked, but he, he, he mistook the person behind the bar for the owner, when it was just a bar, but you know, he's going, so this place, is this where the actual ship came from? He was so interested in it, you know? Yeah. Uh, and as I say, the, the dumb luck of just saying. The switch of, off point, yeah. Yes. yeah, exactly. This yeah. is Mel Brooks, just this, relaxing and. It just, uh, and, and his real passions being. Did you for, see the Jerry Seinfeld yes, comedian, yeah, yeah. you know, when he's with Carl Reiner? Carl Reiner sitting there eating their, uh, their TV so dinners sweet. watching. Yeah, so, sweet, so sweet, isn't it? Every single night. That was a, that's a beautiful thing to see the pair of them. Yeah. Uh, and I love the way. And they, like you say, not that funny because they no. were just kind of pottering around being well, it, it, old mates. As, as Woody Allen would say, you, you cannot keep up that level of personality for too long, you have a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Martin, I'd read a quote later in life, said, At my age, you can't be silly anymore. Yeah, you know. except he's doing his book called Born Standing Up, yeah. was yeah. one of the most refreshing autobiographies I ever read. Very few jokes in it. And he presumes right. he presumes nobody knows anything about him. Yes, uh, then yeah. I did a thing where I would wear a white suit on stage. The reason <laughs> that came around, and but he tells it completely as if, you know, I, I, I'm not going to. You know, this is not. It, there's no showboat in a so all. dry. But he yeah. equally, uh, his house apparently is uh, Museum of Modern Art, and that is that's his. That thing. was that's his big passion. And, and music as well. And music, the, of the course, band. his banjos. Yeah. The, uh, banjos. But thing. when he was on chat shows at his height, he'd have the half. Arrow, the arrow, arrow to his head. head. Yeah. And then there was a guest on with him, I can't remember who it was, and he pulled up the guest's trouser leg and put the half arrow on their knee and said, now you're funny too. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, you know, it's like Tommy Cooper couldn't do, couldn't, do yeah. uh, a, an interview without wearing a hat and a funny costume and being Tommy Cooper. But towards the end of Tom's life, I saw him interviewed. I'd never heard or seen him like this. And the interviewer said, You've only to walk on the stage and people laugh. Yeah. And Tom said, you don't know how much it takes just to walk, walk on. on. Stage, yeah. I'd never well, heard him like that, but yeah. I worked with him. Of course you did, yeah. And I saw him almost trembling off as you waited to go on. I shrink from telling Tommy Cooper stories in present company. No, please do. Uh, but um, whenever it, it, that old sore and cliche and frankly annoying thing, they didn't have to do anything to be funny. They, everything they said yeah. was funny. You, they said it about so many. I think it was through no fault of his own and a curse, Tommy Cooper's, because the few times I met him, this is the first time, it, it, this is his clout and power. He was coming to do the six o'clock show again and he was coming for the second rehearsal and everyone in the office wanted to go down to watch just him arrive. Oh, and yeah. be his. So we all went downstairs and he was just going to be shown what to do and where we were going. And we were sitting in the little gallery at, at LWT on the South Bank, you know, with the glass in front here and the director and everybody out there, little narrow, you know, gallery they have for guests to sit in. And we're all sitting in there waiting for Tommy Cooper to arrive. Phone goes. Jim Allen, who now runs companies, was a researcher at the time. Hello, uh, could you come and pick up Tommy Cooper in reception? So it goes along the four or five of us there. Tommy Cooper, he, he's here. So Jim says, I'm going to go and get him. We all sit there. A few minutes later, the door opens and in comes Tommy Cooper. And there's this enormous fella, huge back and everything else. And he opens the door of the gallery while the rehearsal's going on. And he walks in. And we all try to be cool and look forward, look straight ahead. And he goes, <clears throat> hello. So we say, hello, hello. <clears throat> and he walked along the line and there was a gap between me and this other fella. And he's got his back to the screens and he, uh, he went, <clears throat> <clears throat> he's not sat down yet. 
<coughs> can I sit there? And we all laughed. <laughs> yes, yes, you can. And he went, uh, you don't mind if I sit there? No, that's <laughs> so we sat down, right? And he sat there and he went, <coughs> and he's watching the rehearsal for a couple of minutes. He went, <coughs> and he looked at me and he went, <coughs> and I've got a bad back. And we all started killing ourselves. What and he looked the other way and went, no, I am. <laughs> and we all started. You're waiting for it's the getting funnier. I know. Yeah. You're waiting said, for the punchline know, as well. And this poor yeah. fellow's just said, oh, no, I've got a bad back. No, I have. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he had with him a yellow attache case, a yellow, bright yellow, narrow attache case, but he'd been holding it in front of him. And he said, no, I have. And we all thought, stop giggling just because he's Tommy Cooper in that voice. He just told us he's not feeling great. There was a shelf in front of us. Can I put this on there? Another big laugh. <laughs> so we said... Uh, yeah, yeah, of course you can. <clears throat> Do you mind if I put it on there? So we said, no. He put it on there. It was made of the thinnest gossamer rubber and went to nothing as he put it on the shelf. Massive laugh. And he went, it's good, that, isn't it? It's good. <laughs> I'll use that on the show. And he didn't. He just brought this prop in to use And he didn't actually take it out on the set. But that was obviously him going for a laugh there. But the rest of it, with him just saying, I've got a bad back, do you yeah. mind if I sit here? I know, and you're laughing. And we're killing ourselves. Now, you knew him as a great friend. Yeah. But to us, this all we could see was this in, this most extraordinary performance. I was in yeah. the pub next door. This may surprise you. <laughs> next door to the Thames Studios in Teddington. And I met three people. And they said, well, what, we've come to see Tom. He was a friend of theirs, and he hasn't turned up. And I said, oh, he'll be here. He'll be here. We chat away. Tommy walked in the pub in dressing gown and pyjamas. I said, sorry, I was slept. <laughs> <laughs> He'd gone to wardrobe <laughs> to, to get, get dressing yeah. gown and pyjamas. I know. Well, that's the thing, they, 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 not realising it was, it was enough to be there and just say things like, I've got a bad back. He wanted an entrance. He had, he had, and he had this attaché case. It's good, isn't it? It's good. I'm going to use that. And he didn't use it on the show. This is a constant But he wrote tested it. He wrote tested it. He wrote tested the game. And I think it was enough yes. that he got a lot. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's and he was a brilliant. And he logged it and thought, well, maybe, it, maybe like, this is yeah. neither the time nor the place. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant <laughs> magician in a magic circle. So he would be, you know, yeah. doing props and dropping them and being silly. Yeah, and yeah. then he'd suddenly fill the table with bottled glass, bottled glass. <laughs> and the audience would go, bad. he was doing a brilliant trick yeah. suddenly. A bit like that. Yeah. Oh, he was amazing. I uh, met him once in, in the bar, Constancy, and uh, he walked in. Oh, Barry, I don't know what he was doing there and what I was doing there. It doesn't matter. Eric and Ernie were downstairs, going to start a recording. Come on. I thought, oh, game on now. I'm going down there with Tommy Cooper. And they're doing their warm-up, Eric and Ernie. And, of course, there's a man on the door, but he let Tommy Cooper in, yeah. you know, and I slid in with Tom. Now, I put it in context. It was a time when, forgive me, Dick Emery had a very uh, colourful private life. Yes, married he did. and yes, he did. Uh, very all over the place. <laughs> and uh, Tommy and I, I thought, oh, boy, what's happening? We walked very quietly down the side of the audience. Eric and Ernie are doing their warm-up. And Tommy walked on, unforgivable, mm. in somebody else's warm-up. And, of course, the audience go, ah. And Ernie was loving it. Eric could have murdered him. <laughs> uh, Hello, Tom. What is it? You know, get yeah. off. Uh, well, <laughs> the thing is, Eric, I, uh, uh, and he started, he could cry. Yeah. He started crying. And Eric's thinking, oof. So he tried to push him off, and then Tommy leaned on him. Now, there's no way you're going to push Tommy Cooper no. off when he leans on you. And Eric said in desperation, what is it, Tom? He said, Dick Emery's left me. <laughs> oh, lovely. Enormous laugh and walked on. <laughs> yeah. And Eric said to me later, I could have murdered him 
but it was funny. It was yeah. a funny line. But you there. don't interrupt mates. War no, no, you don't. No, no, that who was, was on for who was the writer? Who was the writer that had a, a sketch they'd written for Tommy Cooper that didn't get used? And they tried to recycle it. Oh, it was Dick Dick Emery. Yeah. Was it Emery read the sketch? And this writer submitted one that Tommy hadn't done. And Dick Emery rang the writer and said, Very funny, your sketch. But when it got to the last page, it said, Dick laughs and his fez falls off. Bit of a giveaway. I don't, I don't want your re, I don't want your recycled sketches. No, no, yeah. no, nothing gets wasted. I, I suggested. God forbid. God forbid. <laughs> I suggested to Tom once, and he did it. I don't think he only did it live. I don't know whether he ever did it on telly. I said it'd be quite funny, Tom, if you've got a canary on top of your fez and you never refer to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it came on, and of course. They're already laughing. Yeah. There's a canary on his face. Yeah. <laughs> he never refers to it. And he's, he's goading the audience. And somebody shouted something or said something. What? There's a, what? What? There's a canary on top of your face, Tom. Is there? <laughs> and he, he thought, well, this will be funny. And he, he took the canary off the top of his fez and threw it off and said, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Never referred back to no, it. Yeah. No. They laughed and laughed. That was indefinable what no, he could but get I think with. But believe it or not, it only occurs to me now, there's a lot of Steve Martin's act in that. When he comes on and pretends to be most dignified, he, he can't understand oh, yeah. what people are, what, what, what's so funny here? Yes. With the arrow through the head, yeah. when he would say comedy gold, there's a lot of that crossover there, I think, uh, that Steve Martin certainly does. Yeah, you play the comedian and the straight man. Exactly. And at yes, the same I know, time. It, I know it's a joke within a joke, but exactly what Tommy Cooper was doing. Yeah. And I'm sure, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to get through this. The, Why are you all laughing? Exactly. In the fun analysis, though, you, it's just funny bones of the X Factor. Tommy had it. Yeah. And the great Humphrey Littleton said, never lose touch with silly. No. Eric and Ernie, two grown men being silly. Yeah. Tommy Cooper, a brilliant magician, being silly. silly. Yeah. And there's something... They, that's, oh, that's exactly one what thing, that's exactly One thing that I, both, I, I think both of you share as well is the fact that you've never lost touch with silly well, in you, what you, you do. You, you can't adapt. I mean, I'm no good, um, despite, you know, reputation and stuff, doing... I mean, I, Private, I'm doing me nut and stuff, but I've never, I've always, uh, I, the, the satisfaction of writing a joke that anyone can laugh at, I've never wanted to be subversive or anything. If you look at the stuff no, I've done for no. anyone over the years, whether it's Chris Evans or Jonathan Ross or anyone, and Peter Kay and people, it's always been something, as you know, this is for people who understand though, the, the idea that your personality is in the joke is not important if you're writing for someone. No. You know, my <laughs> wife used to, no, it isn't. You can't. If you have to have it hear them, I only once was I ever defeated. I was supposed to write the ITV awards for Trevor McDonald, and we had a meeting. I said, "Let's do this," but I tried to move him into something that was somewhere out of his comfort zone, but was appropriate for the modern way that award shows are done. And he said, "I, I, I can't read this." You know, it was very, it's very funny, but I can't read this. And I would be no good at doing just straight links. I can do them. Yeah, yeah. And I had to get, admit defeat there because I'd written some. Pretty, I thought it was funny stuff. But in, in, otherwise, whether I'm writing for Anger, or, you know, Angus Deaton, uh, you, you have to have that. You're right for them, their ear. And so you write the stuff, but you have to be able to hear them. I couldn't hear Trevor McDonald. My wife used to say when someone was getting big laughs and there was no writer on the credit, you know, it didn't matter. The fee was there, and I've always had a, quite a high fee. And she would say, but no, you wrote that. And I, you know, yeah. she'd, and I said, oh, no, it doesn't matter. She went, well, it does, because I said, no, it doesn't win. I remember saying to her, what's your favourite film? Oh, Gone with the Wind. Who wrote the screenplay? 
uh, exactly. Yes. It doesn't. The, your job is to make it's the like turn look good. It's That's like it. a tailor making suits. Exactly. It's that. got to fit. Exactly. And I rarely wrote alone. And uh, the cliche was, I compared notes to a lot of other, there's a sitter and a walker. In yeah. the old days, you had the typewriter, you were scribbling, and your mate was I'm walking about. John Duncan was walking about twiddling his glasses being Eric Morecambe. Yeah. Oh, I must tell you, the Morecambe and Wise uh, atmosphere, Eddie Braben came on the scene and he turned them into Eric and Ernie, as you know, in the flat. And I used to really irritate John Junkin by calling Eddie the 80. I said, this is the man. <laughs> Junkin didn't like that. I said, no, Eddie's the man. Eddie heard about this. And we hadn't met at the time. And we finally met in a bar and he grabbed hold of me and pointed at me and said to people, famous Morecambe and Wise writer, he said. <laughs> and we became mates. Yeah. And we watched Morecambe and Wise one afternoon, rehearsing whatever, and there was a break. And then a crocodile of people came in the audience seats. And Eddie said, who's this, Baz? I said, oh, he's called Brad Ashton and he's got permission. It's a, a writer's school. Oh, right, right. He hated coming to London, Eddie. He loved Liverpool. He wanted yeah. to be home, you know. So Brad came down off the seats and uh, I introduced him to Eddie. Hello, Brad. And Brad Ashton said, we've met before. No, no, we haven't. Yeah, we've met before. No, no. And uh, Brad said, we met in the gents at Heathrow. <laughs> and Eddie said, I'll see you've got a different job now. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, oh <laughs> lovely. Well, it's time to leave the men's toilets at Heathrow as we've reached the end of today's chat with Danny Baker. But don't worry, Dad or Danny weren't even close to wrapping up. So we'll be back tomorrow with part two. If you enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. Subscribe to the show and tell your friends. Thank you to everyone who's done so already. It really does help us reach new sets of ears. So until tomorrow, bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.